0: baseball is 90% mental and no one is more mental than these two Jeff Blair Kevin Barker baseball central on the Sportsnet radio network. Yeah every game matters Uh, doesn't matter how you get it done you know we want to be a team that can win any kind of way you know early in the year we a lot of big blowouts the run differential was huge but none of that matters now just getting the W. Sometimes it takes a big play in the end. Sometimes it, I mean, you jump on them early. However we can do it, can do it.
2: That was Marcus Semien. After last night's Blue Jays win over the Detroit Tigers. And he's absolutely right, Kevin Barker. Let's be honest. You know, we, we like to have storylines. This guy's scuffling. This guy's on a roll. This guy can't get anybody out. This guy stinks. Do we sign this guy for next year? Yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. But right now for the Toronto Blue Jays and every team in the wild card race, it's basically, it's, it's about winning. I mean, you can look back at a game and, and it can deliver talking points to you. But at the end of the day, it's whether or not you won.
1: Yeah, it's about great starting pitching. It's about great defense. It's about running the bases the way you're supposed to run them. It's about your best player showing up when it matters and, that's, you know, you read between the lines there for Marcus Simeon. That's basically what he's saying. And, you know, he, he's carrying his end. He's doing what he's, he's supposed to do. He's getting a good pitch to hit when most of the time he gets it. He ain't missed. He's been a really good player for the Blue Jays. For sure.
2: The uh, Blue Jays are off today before they start a three-game series against the Oakland Athletics tomorrow at the Rogers Center. Uh, but they did manage to, uh, to win their series against the Detroit Tigers. Uh, taking yesterday's game, uh, five four, and uh, Stephen Matz, uh, five workman-like innings. I, he, I, he just I, well, I don't know what happened uh, in, in in that second inning, Bark, but uh, he, he just completely, completely lost the strike zone.
1: Yeah, it happens occasionally. Or you got to remember now he he's not a one, two, or three. He's a four or five guy, and occasionally he's going to get out outside himself. He's going to overthrow a little bit. You know, the, the, the finish to his pitches is not going to be there. He got a little bit more rotational in his wind windup. That's something all year he's been working on. You know, he, he had a little Robbie Ray in him. When it comes to mm-hmm. he's raising his leg, he turns his, his waist and his shoulder a little bit too much. He loses both eyes to the target. And, you know, his pitches don't go where he wants them to go. He's been working on that. He's been a lot better. August stats will show that he's been really, really consistent with all those things. And, you know, his, his up's been strike the ball much better. The fastball in for me is, is the key. He said that in his zoom calls, that's when he's going is when he's locating the fastball in quality pitches. It's, that's what it's all about. And occasionally you're going to go outside that. I will say this three and a half months ago, he's off the rails. They're, they're bringing somebody in right after he's walking two guys, but, he figured it out. He got back in his mechanics uh, quicker than he's gotten back into him, you know, in the past. So that's exactly what you want. It, it's one of those things, you know, I don't want to say he's a work in progress, but he is one of those guys that, you know, exactly what are you going to get every single time out? Mm-hmm. And if you, if he'll give you what he's been giving you, you're going to take that. And hopefully your offense shows up and, and they score a bunch of runs and win a bunch of games. But you, you can't argue Steven Matz, right? I don't want to say he's been a surprise,
2: but. Oh, you can say he's been a surprise. Absolutely. I think a lot a lot of people looked at Steven Matz as, you know, it's not like they gave up a great deal uh, necessarily necessarily to to get him. I, mean, I think a lot of people look at Steven Matz as, as a guy who, well, hey, wasn't it that long ago we were saying Ross stripling or Steven Matz? I don't know which one of those guys is going into the bullpen, which one of those guys is going to be in the rotation now, stripling got hurt, so that answered part of the question, I guess, but Stephen Matz has taken that opportunity and and run with it you know one man's uh, one man's bad luck is 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 another man's good luck
1: yeah, I guess you know it's it's Again, one of those things where, you know, he's probably not going to give you a quality start every time out, but he's going to give your team a chance to win. And it's just that, you know, sort of keeping down – a lot of the you know he gets huffy on the mound and you know when the umpire don't call a strike that's a strike and you know he he sort of kept that at bay and and been able to erase it quickly and go to the next pitch it's that mentality yeah it's a lot of pd it's a lot of he'll make adjustments a lot of if he doesn't correct he's not going to be a big leaker much longer it's a collective of all of those things and now he's He's throwing more strike ones. He's throwing more quality pitches. He's when he does fall behind, he can throw a secondary pitch to get back into account, which is a big deal at the big league level, especially when you're left-handed. And he's doing all of those things. He, you know, I, I, the surprise thing, the stuff's always been there. Yeah, it's, it's the mental part of it. It's being able to correct yourself from the mound. It's it's able to forget about you just walk two guys in from third base being able to erase that quickly and, and move on and, and actually keep your team in it. When, you know, year after year, he's not been able to do that. And all of a sudden, he's coming to Toronto Blue Jays and he's been able to do that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just nice to see a guy turn the page and be able to give his team a chance to win every time he goes out there.
2: Well, and, you know, we've kind of seen this before in some ways with the starting pitcher. When you think back to what Jay Happ was like when he first came here and what people originally thought of Jay Happ. Now, they're di- they, are, they are different pitchers. But when J-Hap came here, the knock against him was that he looked, I wouldn't say he looked a little too reserved on the mound, but let's just put it this way. At times, you almost got the sense that he would shrink on the mound. Uh, he didn't, his body language wasn't, he wasn't particularly demonstrative. But what happened is, it, it was funny, the better he got, all of a sudden that body language wasn't, Ah, it looks like a guy that's just kind of lost he's got the deer and the headlights look all of a sudden. Hey, he's cool. <laughs> you know what i mean i mean he's got he's got a low low, low heart rate right he's got that yeah. that that low heartbeat so with a little success, I think people change the way they view what your body language is 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 like on the mound and mm-hmm. um you know yeah that that has been one of the knocks against Stephen Matz was there were times where he almost looked defeated but I don't get that sense now. I get the sense now that more than anything else, instead of looking defeated, he looks, when, when he when he gets into those those little funks, it's that he looks frustrated.
1: Yeah, I guess. For me, he's now all of a sudden able to translate what he's doing between starts that he's able to do that when he is starting. I mean, it's, it sounds simple. It sounds baseball 101. that It's oh, a big leaguer. He's been around long enough. He should be able to, you know, whatever you're working on in the bullpen, whether it's fastball command, whether it's change up, strike the ball, whatever it is that you're working on, whether it's mechanics, keeping both eyes on the, on the target, sounds simple, but it's something that he's been working on. And then he's actually translating that into a start and it's working and he's having success in the, in the American League East it's not very easy to come reinvent yourself in the East. It's just not. And then, and then doing it, you know, in, in Buffalo and doing it in Dunedin, and then he had the, the COVID issue that he had. He had a little time off. For me, he looks fresh. Mm. i got to be honest with you. He looks like he can continue to throw, maintain velocity, get after a bunch of right-handed hitters. He can stuff them to death. to death. Yes. And that's that for me is a plus, especially when you're a four or five guy, just to give your team a chance to win. He's doing that.
2: So there was a whole lot of winning that went in, uh, that went on last night, I should say, around the Toronto Blue Jays as well. The Blue Jays won. Uh, the Seattle Mariners won. Uh, Oakland won today, this afternoon. They just finished uh, beating the Detroit Tigers. Boston won despite their, their COVID outbreak. And uh, the Yankees won. The Yankees are off today. They start a series against the Baltimore Orioles uh, on, on Friday. And again, really, I... I don't know what you, but I'm not even looking at the Yankees. To me, the Yankees are... The Just Yankees watch the are, Red Sox. Yeah, Whatever exactly. the Red that's Sox are doing, that's all
1: you got to pay attention to. They,
2: they got a game against Tampa Bay tonight. And uh, tr- Oakland, as we mentioned, they've played. They'll be arriving probably in, in a, probably in a couple hours into Toronto for that three-game series tomorrow night. Seattle starts a series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. We already mentioned, of course, the Blue Jays are against Oakland. You've taken a look at the Boston Red Sox schedule. And because we've been focused on the on 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 the Jay schedule, and, but but you looked at the Red Sox schedule and Bark, it is it is a it is a bear. Like they have, I I didn't realize how many how many tough tough games the Red Sox the Red Sox had ahead of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. we may find out how just good Alex Cora is as a manager. You know, you know, I, I've been saying, you know, how much does, does the manager really matter? It's more in twenty twenty one about. Relaying a message from the front office, getting the player to buy into it. But when you got eight guys on the COVID list, mm. you got your shortstop on there, you got your your leadoff hitter on there who plays center field. Look, that's how do you come back from that well, when you're when you're going down the stretch facing really tough teams?
2: Now let, let me read let me read their schedule to you. This is the Red Sox schedule. They play in Tampa tonight. They got three games against Cleveland. Now Cleveland's on the outside of the wild card race, but they're getting some pitching. Then they have three games at home against Tampa. Then they go to Chicago to play the White Sox. Now yeah, maybe the White Sox are going to start resting some guys. Then they go to Seattle to play the Mariners. If there's a bright side for the Red Sox, it's they got three games against Baltimore, followed by two against the Mets. The Mets will probably be out of it by then. But then they got three against the Yankees, and they finish up with three against the O's. So it is not the easiest of schedules. For the for the Boston Red Sox, for a team that right now is having, I mean, they're having a difficult time putting a twenty six man. Yeah, as far as get. we
1: know, Devers is still in the lineup. As far as we know, JD Martinez is still in the lineup. Uh, you know, they they still got some some really good guys in their lineup, but it's you know it's it's not going to be the easiest thing when you're taking out really key pieces right in the meat of your order. You know, get, erasing your your leadoff hitter, erasing your third or fourth hitter. Who's the catalyst of your team? You know, might be your best player, in Xander Bogarts. It's yeah, you down the stretch. You sort of need your guys right to carry the load, and it's just it's it's not going to be the easiest thing. This is what I said. If you're the Blue Jays, you know, and and you're thinking about you know, you you may have got a little blessing in disguise here. Not a, by no means do you want to wish ill on on people getting COVID and those kind of things, but you know, they're one, what are they one of the seven teams that, that aren't at the, the eight eighty-five percent. Yeah, that's so where the Yankees. So you get, you know, you you sort of have to maybe don't look so far ahead. Look right in front of you. If you're the Blue mm. Jays, try and win exactly every single one of those games. Do the right thing, which is exactly what they're trying to do now. But, you know, the Red Sox are helping you out a little bit. So try and take advantage of it.
2: We will be joined by uh, Jeff Passen later on in the hour. And uh, we will, we will uh, take a look at, at some of the COVID issues. That uh, are affecting the Boston Red Sox, and uh, we'll also be joined by Lou Merlone, uh, as well. They they had an interview with, uh, I believe we am I speaking out of turn here? Uh, Alex Cora did an interview with Lou Merlone yesterday, and um, we'll will address the the whole COVID issue with with the Boston uh, Red Sox. John Heyman, by the way, reporting that the teams okay. Uh, Twenty-three of thirty major league baseball teams have officially hit the eighty-five percent vaccination thre- threshold. The teams that aren't are the Phillies, Red Sox, Mets, Cubs, Mariners, Diamondbacks, and Royals. So okay, so the Yankees—I mistakenly included the Yankees in that in that group that uh, that hadn't hit it. But um, yeah, it, it's uh, it, you're right, it, it, and 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 I've said I I think that I think that. Covid nineteen is just going to be. I mean, it's going to be one of those issues that I, I think it's going to play a factor before this thing is done. It's already played it with the Red Sox, but I got a feeling that it, it's it's going to play a factor here in, in this race.
1: Yeah, I, well, for sure, it's by uh, one one thousand percent. It's going to play a factor with the Red Sox because they're trying to figure out, like you said, how to even put a team on the field. A legitimate team to to compete against some really good other teams, but uh, look, this is an advantage for the Blue Jays, but one thousand percent. Again, it's for me. You. I think if you're the Blue Jays and everybody I've talked to around the Blue Jays and the players, you, you, you can't think of what other teams are doing or right. what they're going through. You just have to think about what you're doing as a whole, what you can do to help your team win, right? It's just a little thing. It's like Teoscar Hernandez last night and when when Randall hit the little fly ball to center. Mm-hmm. That, for me, was good base running. Now, did he do it yep. on purpose by tagging up at second base to get to get the guy to cut it off to throw the ball to third base? I don't know, but it sure looked like he did. That Just little things like that to make sure the run scores, to give your team the lead just so they can win that game Mm -hmm. to move on to the next day because, you know, quite frankly, your team's having a real tough time scoring runs. So it's just little things like that that if you think ahead and think the play through before it actually happens, that way you can give
2: your team a a competitive advantage, that's what you need to do down the street. Yeah, and and I I mean, I thought the same thing you did. I thought it was almost like a... It was almost like helping ensure that Bo got across the plate because sure. at that point, the most important thing, at that point, the most important thing is that Bo gets across the plate. It's not necessarily whether or not you get across the plate; it's whether Bo gets across the yeah, plate. Yeah, now I'm not
1: sure Teoscar was thinking it through that much, but it sure looked like he did. And and the outcome of that whole play, yep. worked out that way. Now Cedric Mullins doesn't have the greatest of arms in center field, and and Bo's probably scoring anyway because mm-hmm. he did get a good jump and. Bo's a really, really good base runner, and he knows how to slide into home plate to, you know, to get his hand in there the, the way he's supposed to. But you just gotta like it. That's what you have to do. This time of the year, Marcus Simeon said it the right way. Who cares how it looks as long as you're winning the games.
2: Yeah, let's uh, let's take a look at uh, actually our uh, at at uh, at Marcus Simeon uh, last night as well, and um, he's one of three players in Major League ba- Major League Baseball this season to have hit at least 30 homers and 30 doubles. The others are Raphael Devers and Matt Olson. Look, we've talked about, and I don't want to get into the whole discussion yet about what you do with Marcus Semien in the offseason, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But um, we've seen this. I mean, the, the average has gone down a bit. But what has impressed you the most about Marcus Semien this year? Is it? We're, we'll be joined by, by Ed Sprague, who's the... Uh, minor league field coordinator for the Oakland Athletics a little later. And one of the things that I think it was was Carlos Pena, Carlos Pena, who played for the A's, talked about when we asked him about Marcus Samian. was he said he's got a very A's approach to hitting. He's got a very Oakland approach to hitting. It's very simple. It's not overthought. It's not overly strategic. It's just very simple. Is that the thing that has surprised you the most about him? And Just how, how, how simple and controlled things seem with him? Yeah,
1: yeah, I w- I would think if you put every single one of his home run swings on top of each they would other, look- they look all the same. Right. It's exactly the same over and over and over again how he picks his leg up, how where he puts his foot down, what his bat path looks like to the baseball, what what pitches he's swinging at. That that for me is the one part of it is he he rarely doesn't get a good pitch to hit. Mm-hmm. Now now he did last night swing at a 2-0 changeup with a runner in scoring position. That was borderline. Why would you swing at it? But you know, it's one of those things where players around him, teammates around him aren't doing their thing. Maybe you expand a little bit because you do feel a little bit better than other guys and you're seeing the ball a little bit better, so you might expand in certain situations. But for the most part, it is, you know, I talk about it a lot this time of the year. It's not mechanical. It's about what you're swinging at and more importantly, what you're not swinging at. And that for me, I think, is is very surprising is as many right-handed hard throwers as he faces... Mm the pitches that he gets that are good pitches to hit. And then the ones that he gets that he lays off of, it's like, he just, he has such a good plan. It's, it's so, like you said, easy. He's not trying to overthink it. And then it's, how do I get it on plane? How do I keep it in the plane? How do I get to my finish? And if I get it to my finish because of the pitch that I'm swinging at, I'm going to do damage on it. And also, the the pull side, you know, it's most of his balls to the pull side, which you don't see a ton of middle infielders doing that. He's, he's basically a pull hitter. Now, occasionally he'll, he'll go outside the box, stay inside, out of baseball, hit a ball to right field, right centerish, But mainly, he's getting a foot down and trying to change the plate. And what I mean by that is, you know where the plate's at. Mm-hmm. He's looking out in front of the plate. So he's basically got two plates. And he doesn't want to get beat on velocity. That's what I'll tell you. You know, how do you make money? You make money by hitting velocity. So you change your plate. There's your plate. You think the plate, the imaginary plate's in front of that. If I set my eyes there, I'm, per, I'm rarely going to get beat on velocity. Because of my mechanics, I can repeat that over and over and over again. I have a good chance of having success that way. He is he is exactly what the doctor ordered. It's It's a surprise when it comes to that. But the actual numbers, mm-hmm. I'm not surprised.
2: He's a good hitter. Again, the Jays have today off. They will start a three-game series against the Oakland Athletics tomorrow night at the Rogers Center. It is a big series. The A's are one of the three teams between the Jays and that second wild card spot, including Boston, including Seattle. And, um, yeah, it's uh, the A's and Jays generally play pretty good games. But this is a uh, this is a big series. This is a big series for this for this Jays team. I think in a lot of ways, you know, Kevin, it, it it I mean it sets up it sets up the rest of the the rest of the season for him. I know they got the series against the Yankees. <sighs> yeah, that, that's only going to be important based on what the other teams around you do. Because I just don't think I think the Yankees are way too far. I just think they're, they're out of, they're yeah, out and of sight th- I
1: think the there's Blue some Jays. pressure on Charlie, too, to go the right guy after the starter. You know, the, the mm-hmm. Oakland has does have a balanced lineup. Yes, they you, do. You're, you're going to have to go to the right arm. You're going to have to go to the right matchup at the right time. There's some pressure on Charlie and Petey to make the right call, and hopefully they do that. Now, obviously, you hope the, the starter goes seven innings, and, and they make it a no-brainer, but chances are they're not going to do that
2: for three games. For me, there's some pressure on Charlie. Jeff Passan is MLB Insider with ESPN. He'll join us next. You're listening to Baseball Central powered by DoorDash on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: Now, back to more Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. All right,
2: Jeff Passan. ESPN MLB Insider will join us in a few minutes. Last to talk to Mr. Passon about the New York Mets have put their assistant general manager, Zach Scott, on administrative leave. Mm. I think the Mets the Mets have set a record for uh, front office people who've either been fired or put in administrative leave this year. And uh, Sandy Alderson is now running the team. Look, this. Well, we'll, we'll talk to Passin about this. Just to me, just screams that Theo Epstein is going to leave the commissioner's office and come in and take over, take over the Mets. It it just does that. That that they've got an owner that's got a lot of money. They've got an owner that's really hands on. Reminds me a lot of John Henry, who was the owner of the Boston Red Sox. To me, it's a no brainer. If you're the Mets, the Mets can't. Uh, the Mets can't. They can't have another year like this. All all that goodwill that they built up. Getting Lindor, they just pissed it away. They become a they become a comedy show. Yeah,
1: I wonder what the the uh, the relationship is between the owner and Sandy Alderson now. That 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 for me would be the big question yeah. whether, whether that happens or not. But because you would think if Theo comes in, he he wants reign of everything. He, oh, he's God, the yeah. boss, and yeah. you know, he he's got the last say so. that'd be an interesting thing. But I'm with you. The, things gotta change. It's the Mets. Uh
2: before you get to Jeff Pass, I want to talk a little bit about Jordan Romano. Uh, now again uh, you know, look, he's, the teams that the teams that he's had his last couple of saves against, they're not they haven't been the best teams in the not world. His fault. It's not his fault. He can only he can only do he can only do what he can do. Uh and, and so far he's he's done it very well. He's he's on he's on a real roll. Do you think there will be a point in September? I'm not gonna say take the gloves off him, because I think we know what the blue but it is. Is there going to be a point in September where the Jays are going to have to maybe get a little more aggressive with Romano and going back-to-back days or maybe ask him to go an inning in a third?
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I think they know what they, they can get out of him if they are careful with him. mm mm-hmm. Last night, for me, he didn't have his good stuff. It was 96. He was forcing velocity. You could see that mechanically for whatever reason. Got,
2: and I'm going to say, he got a little bit of help from the home plate umpire in a couple yeah, of pitches. Well, he really did. Well, you know,
1: every once in which a while, is they, fine. They, they close their eyes and call strike. that's, oh, that's, the one, that's
2: but, but let's be clear. He lost enough games. Well, absolutely. But let's be clear. There, you know, there were some borderline calls, calls that could have gone either way that went his way last night, which, yeah. is, which is not wrong. But I'll tell you what, when you're scuffling...
1: Yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to say he was scuffling, but you could tell you know, for whatever reason he was really searching for something. And that that for me is telling you that he's turned a page on, on something like he he's mm-hmm. taken his game to a whole different level. Now, it may be he's relying a lot on the velocity, a lot on the fastball. You know, you mix that around. You go you go away to a lefty, you elevate to a righty, you go away to a righty, you elevate to a righty. It's more of. Why mess around? If I just don't throw it down the middle, you know I got a good chance with my ninety nine to hundred and one to get them out. I don't. I don't need to trick anybody. I don't, it's okay if they know it's coming. And last night you could tell it's, it was more ninety sixes. When he's turning around more, taking a longer look at the scoreboard to see what the number is, that'll mm-hmm. tell you that something ain't coming out right. But he got through it, and that's the key of, you know, maybe he now can rely on more of experience and and that'll get him through some things. Well, I'll tell you, you know, if we are if
2: we are seeing the blue jays if we're seeing the development of a closer in the middle of a race you know it's not necessarily the same as what roberto osuna did in 2015 because he came out of spring training and yeah. just took he grabbed the bull by the horns and is basically mm-hmm. on the closer and that's all there is to it uh, and and that as it turns out that yeah. was the way john john gibbons managed the game so it's a little different that way but, man, this is—you see—it kind of excites me because we've seen, we've seen flashes of this, and now we're going to see him get a chance to continue to become a finished product in the middle of a race. And I find that exciting because if he can, can kind of keep it together for the rest of the year, set himself up for a real good offseason, you know, if, if, if they go into next year thinking that Jordan Romano is their guy in the ninth inning... And that helps them a lot in terms of the offseason. Yeah. They don't have to go fishing for Kirby Yates next year if yeah, they got Jordan Romano and Tim Mesa.
1: They maybe, don't have to go fishing for Kirby that's Yates. That's maybe what we should throw in the text line. If, if, if fans continue to see this Jordan Romano for the end of the season, now right. maybe he might blow a save. But are fans okay with him being the closer? The guy in the ninth inning. Every time there's a save situation next year when they're legitimately
2: going for it, are you okay with Jordan Romano? I'd love to know the their thoughts. Five ninety five ninety is the text line. There you go, Mister Barker has just presented a challenge to you. Normally, it's me presenting you the challenge. Yeah, but in this time, Barker's come that and that's fine. I'm it's, it doesn't bother me that you've taken over the entire running of the show by mm. by doing that. But uh, what what's your what's your comfort and confidence level in in Jordan Romano as a closer? Five ninety five ninety is the text line. I, I admit I've been, well, I don't have to admit if you've listened to the show, you know, I've been a little reluctant to go all in on him because I, I still like my closers to be able to work three nights in a row if absolutely, if absolutely needed and to be that's, able to go one and two, three. That's man. Liam Hendricks. Yeah,
1: so the, I like those, my, those guys don't come around that, every day. That's fair. That's fair. I, I'll, I'll, but, leave, I'll leave this open. I want to see what he does against the Yankees in the race. Is it the Yankees are playing seven games? Yeah, I want to yeah. know. That that for me. Now he'll probably get we'll go five or six games. He'll get well. In those, also, in those thirteen. It depends
2: too, if Julian Mer- if Julian Merriweather comes up. Like unlike Nate Pearson and 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 Brian Baker, they're gonna Julian Merriweather is going right in the fire. Like he's hundred and fifty years old. They frankly, they're at the point where they don't care if his arm falls off. Uh, yeah, they don't, they but they really it, don't.
1: It's Jordan Ronald's job to lose. Yeah, but
2: Julian and down he, could be he's found a, a routine. Julian Merriweather could be your guy on the days you can't go with. There you go. So you have the, you have those two plus Tim Mays at the end of the at the end of You're the. Putting the, the cart
1: before the horse,
2: boy. <laughs> I know we are. Well, I know. I, I specialize in that. Let's bring in Jeff Passan, uh, ESPN MLB Insider. Very happy that he uh, joins us today on Baseball Central. Thank you for making time for us today, Mister Passan. As always,
0: it is greatly uh,
2: appreciated.
3: And can I jump in? Did you realize that on zero days rest this year, uh, hitters are batting one seventy?
2: Yeah, Jeff, we're gonna have to get back to you. Uh, we got a bad line there, man. That's what I used to sound like. I listen. I'll tell you mm. When I when my previous job at the Globe and Mail, we had a gig with with uh, with with Sportsnet five ninety The Fan before I was here full time. It was the morning show with Marsden and Stellick, and it was our Steve McAllister, our former sports editor, had had this idea that it would be great for for the the newspaper to have this sort of regular slot on the morning show, which is fine. It's a great idea for the newspaper. Sure. But man, it was back in the days when I was running a little bit, and that's what I sounded like. Mm. Some mornings they would call me up, and I'd be like, uh. I mean, I remember one time they the the Jays had had fired Rick Langford as their pitching coach, and. Everybody just assumed they, the guys in the morning show assumed that I knew it. I hadn't. I got. I literally was half asleep when they called, so I'm basically yeah. in bed, huh? And they start yeah. talking to me about the pitching coach being fired, and I'm going, yeah, well, you know, it's it'd be odd timing if that would happen. I really can't see them. I can't see the Jays doing something like that right now. Like I thought they were telling me that it was rumored. I can't see the Jays uh, doing something like that right now. But you know, I any anything, any anything's possible." So that's what I sounded like uh a little bit there. Do we have Mr. Passon back. There we go. Boy, Mr. Passon, you missed some quality <laughs> filling of airtime right there, my friend. All right, here's the question. Do you actually hear me now? We yeah, we're
3: good. Loud yeah, and clear. yeah. Yeah, we're good. I was I was trying I was I was trying to interrupt you by saying Jordan Romano on no days rest this year has thrown eight innings, punched out 12 and has a 2.25 ERA. <laughs> like it's not like he can't go back to back.
2: Yeah.
3: And in the playoffs in the playoffs, you don't need to go back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Well, that's true.
2: Okay. So you just basically.
1: Well, we got we to go to the playoffs
2: first. I mean,
1: yeah. we, we talk regular season. Yeah, I was, yeah, was going to say. That's, yeah, that's, that's,
2: that,
3: that, that's that, going to be a hard thing. That's the thing
1: so. is we're we just wondering if he is good enough when they are legitimately in this thing, putting the chips in the middle of the table, if he can be the guy or not consistently all year. That's the question.
3: I totally buy Jordan as closer. You do? Totally buy him. I do. I think he's got the stuff. I think he's got the attitude. Everything I've seen from him since he's been in the big leagues screams closers to me. And, and, by the way, big leagues, I understand he was just sort of meh in, in 19, but uh, he's throwing like three miles an hour harder now than he did back then. Like, he's just I, – I feel like he's a different pitcher than he was back in 2019. And the the stuff is there. Uh, the performance has been there. Uh, I am in on Jordan Romano.
2: Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I think one of the things with Jordan Romano, too, that we didn't – maybe we didn't pay enough attention to because we just assumed that guys who were using – the guys – and we should have known this because, you know, Garrett Cole throws, throws hard and there was some concern about his ability to adapt to the new rules regarding sticky stuff. Mm-hmm. There is, a, you know, there's a, if you go back and look at Jordan Romano's track record this year, there was a wobble after that yeah. came in. And that wobble's gone away now. So either he's discovered something even better that, that nobody can find, <laughs> yeah. you know, which is entirely possible. Um, you know, better performance through better chemistry, or I think we've seen this, Jeff, with a lot of guys. I, I, I think a lot of guys just—I mean, these guys are great athletes, and they adapt to stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a lot of what it is. But yeah, they may still be cheating. I don't know. I, you know, st- sticky, sticky stuff. Um, sticky stuff that wasn't spider tack or wasn't one of those. You know, potions that's getting cooked up in a in a soda can never bothered me quite as much as it did others necessarily. Like if if MLB were to put something on the mound, like a universal substance uh, that doesn't generate massive amounts of spin but gives them enough tack, like I I think that's fine. But the the early concerns about guys getting hurt uh, because of this, uh, I I do believe Tyler Glasnow did get hurt because uh, of trying to adjust and adapt to this. But Mm -hmm. uh, I I think the fears that it was going to be more guys were probably overblown. Uh,
2: Jeff, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, now we're starting to see a little more, we're starting to see reports leak out about different offers from ownership to the players association, or I guess opening plays, if you want to call it that. From owners to the Players Association. I know there's a and and this is you know, we we are in the phony war stage of of negotiating.
3: But right. And 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 let me let me just say the reason I haven't written anything at ESPN Mm. at this point about it because I, I personally look at it like do I write about teams first offers to players? No. No. And and it's because what we see now versus what we're gonna see a few months down the road when the real negotiating starts. It's, it's completely different. They're, they're almost in the stage at this point where they're, they're boxers in the first round. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and they're throwing different kinds of punches because they want to see if they can sneak one by a guy or if he's got a weakness or if there's something that uh, he's really going to latch on to defensively or uh, just trying to understand what the intent of the opponent is and that that very early stage of negotiating it introduces things, but they're not introducing things that that we thought were uh were off the table like the idea of of age based free agency you know I've been talking about that forever the mm-hmm. the notion of uh ridding arbitration going to a pool based system sure that theoretically that's a possibility but um you know i I, I look at this. Uh, This first offer from Major League Baseball as a very early starting point where if you don't take all the different things in totality, it's an extremely incomplete picture. And uh, with with something like this, talking about an incomplete picture is dangerous because you end up assigning more weight to individual things Mm -hmm. that may actually be the case that they deserve.
2: You you raised a point, though, because we're talking about this theoretically. And it, it and I think the last time we had you on, we talked about, okay, how might the offseason proceed in terms of trades, given the fact that there's negotiations going on? I, I want to put that aside for a minute, though. I'm looking at a team like the Blue Jays. Now, we know that last year they talked to Teosca Hernandez about a, a, a long-term contract or, or a, a set contract. That didn't come about. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think back to how Bo Bichette answered the question when he was asked about it. I, th- I think the general answer was kind of sort of yeah, maybe there was some sort of discussion, but it really wasn't serious. And I hope you know maybe we'll do it this year. Yeah. I mean, frankly, Bo didn't sound as if, it, if as if he'd spent more than a, a second. The second uh, the second that he heard the question asked was that was the amount of time he spent thinking about it. But I'm just wondering now. Yeah. You're the Blue Jays. Vladdy and Bo are going to finish this season they're going to have pretty good numbers. You know, we've already seen some young players get big contracts. If you're the Blue Jays, how do you like, just theoretically, Jeff, square the possibility that I don't know, maybe Vladdy, maybe Vladdy wants a I don't know, an 8-year contract at 30 million. I'm just throwing out a number. But you don't know what the new CBA is going to look like in terms of when a player gets free agency. Let alone how much a guy is going to get in arbitration. How do you how do teams handle that when it comes to their really good young players? Never mind the free agents, but the guys that they have who've got maybe two and a bit years service time. How do you think teams will handle that?
3: I think that we we have to separate those guys from the mere mortals in baseball, and I, I say that kind of tongue in cheek, you know, comparing. Uh, Vladdy and Bo and players of that caliber who are young and awesome to everyone else, but they really are a protected class. They really are treated differently. Those are two guys who, because of their skill and talent, you can see earning thirty plus million dollars a year in the future, mm. right? And and whatever you do as an organization has to be done with that knowledge in mind that these guys are so talented at such a young age and are going to be out there in free agency, you know, Bobachette, I think what's he gonna be a free agent at Mm twenty-eight, maybe twenty-nine. Laddie's gonna be a free agent at twenty seven, I believe. Maybe twenty-six. Like these are guys who, even if everything doesn't go right, probably still are thirty million dollar a year players in free agency. So if you can get some free agent years bought out, uh, knowing that you're going to have to pay that or you can pay a little bit below that, uh, I, don't, I don't care what the future collective bargaining agreement looks like. If you can lock Vladimir Guerrero Jr. up, if you can lock Bo up, you lock them up. Period. End of story. You make that a priority because this team, to me, is going to be as good as those two. And if those two are here for a long time, that to me, extends your championship window,
1: Jeff, what do you think about a salary floor uh, that That hundred million dollar thing really stood out to me because there's a couple of really good teams in the Brewers and the Rays who would have issues with that hundred million dollar floor. Uh, how do you think that's going to go over is that a, Is that an easy sale or tough sale
3: um I mean, uh, let's put it this way: Where there is a floor, there is eventually a cap um. Yeah, that, that's just the that's the inevitability of something like that. And, and the notion, by the way, that having a, a salary floor is going to make teams spend in free agency, I just don't buy that idea. If you're a team like the Rays and you look at a player who's making $25 million and you feel like he's overvalued, maybe you let somebody else spend it. And then when that team wants to trade the player, you say, okay, we have room. <laughs> To get up to the floor, why don't you send him and two of your best prospects? I don't know that a floor necessarily is going to make an organization operate any differently than it does already. And I think that we really have to keep that in mind because the idea that a floor is automatically going to lead to more spending just is not true. It's going to lead to different kinds of spending, but not the kind that is going to make teams say, we want to be competitive this year. It's almost going to be an out for the teams that do spend more.
1: Okay. Changing gears. How much do you think Robbie Ray will make in free agency?
3: God, the, I mean, like the million dollar question, right? Mm-hmm. Um or, or the $100 million question? <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you see a team? I, I'm going to turn this on you guys. Do you see a team giving Robbie Ray $100 million? The Angels. I mean, it, it would almost be like Robbie Ray, the CJ Wilson of this generation, right? Yeah. Uh, CJ I, Wilson went there. I believe it was five years, $75 million. A lefty who's, uh, you know, going, I believe CJ Wilson was going into like his his age 30 season. Yes, he was. Um yeah. I mean, it's, it's, li- it lines right up for that. And, you know, good for Robbie Ray for playing himself into that. I will say this though. Uh, Robbie Ray loves, and I mean, loves playing for the Toronto Blue Jays because he loves Pete Walker. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the reason he came back to Toronto because he is very comfortable with Pete Walker. And, and, and the idea that that, relationship can continue to blossom and bear fruit like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're the blue Jays, I think you have to give a lot of thought to bringing Robbie Ray back because of the comfort there and because of what he's been able to achieve.
1: Yeah. I, I asked Jeff this, do you think teams would be scared off about the years or the amount of money? Or does it matter? Yes. <laughs>
3: I mean, to both. I, like, I, yeah, because the the problem is, how do you know that this is real right <laughs> what what tells you that what robbie ray doing right is doing right now is something that 's repeatable um, i mean we we look at him last season and uh, ended up with like a six and a half e r a we look at him the year before i think his e r a was over four even though he was striking out guys right and left i mean in his whole career robbie ray's been incredible at striking out guys and incredibly frustrating at throwing the ball over the plate. And suddenly his walk rate dips to two per nine. And you're like, is this, is this a real breakout or is this a mirage? There will be a team that believes it's a real breakout. That team will pay Robbie Ray a lot of money and uh, they will hope that he is more John Lester um, than any of the other, you know terrible free agent signings we've seen from pitchers who just didn't pitch up to their expectations um but but the the pitching in baseball right now in free agency is so thin and, and the pitchers so few and far between that uh he's going to do very very well this offseason you know what good for him he pitched himself
2: into the position to yep. do well yeah absolutely mr paston as always we appreciate your time thank yep. you
3: well done gentlemen Pleasure my a good one. Sorry Thank about there. the
2: phone. Oh, yeah. Ah, no worries. Not <laughs> your fault. Jeff Pass, an MLB insider. He cleared nothing up. With the ESPN.
1: <laughs> With Robbie Ray. Well, Everybody's yeah, holding and the all, answer. And, and it, it th- Listen, I, I will tell there's you. A, there's a giant question. Can they, he do it again?
2: There's a leap of that faith. That's the question. It's Robbie Ray is a big leap of faith for somebody. And there's one organization that is best placed to know just how big that leap of faith is. It's this here organization. That's why I think the Jays they gotta go you gotta go full bore after this guy. Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't well, you have done it already? Bore. Who knows? I mean, we don't know if they have we don't know if there's been some talks. If I'm Robbie Ray, no, if I'm Robbie Ray, I'm I'm hitting are you kidding me? No way. I I'm hitting the free agent market regardless of what the unless you come to me and say, here's six years and thirty million a year, I'm gonna no nah, way, mm-hmm. I gotta at least test free agency. Five ninety, five ninety is the text line. You're listening to Baseball Central. Oh, I lost my breath. You're listening to Baseball Central, powered by DoorDash, on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: Now back to more Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.
2: All right, Lou Maroloni will join us in a few minutes. We'll take a look back at his uh, their interview, I should say, with uh, with Alex Corey yesterday. Um, lots of action, reaction in the text line. To our question, the question put out by Mr. Barker about Jordan Romano. And uh, boom. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. nine. I'm going to say 85, 90%. Totally happy. Totally happy with uh, Romano. Uh, Ken and Barry seems to sum up. What everybody says, what everybody thinks, guys. I'm good with Romano as the opening day closer next year. Listen, there's far bigger holes to fill than that one. The way I see it, I you know, Ken. Again, uh, they won't be they won't be fishing in the Kirby Yates waters next year. No, and I don't they're know.
1: They're all in next year.
2: For and, me, they are. Yeah, and I don't know if there's any. I don't know if there's a free agent closer out there. like, like I think this bullpen. There's between Simber. Richards, Mesa, and Romano. You've got four arms I want back next year. Forearms I want back next year. Then we'll see what Brian Baker's about, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what you make in Nate Pearson. But, uh, you know, Ken, and, and that's the overwhelming sentiment of people. Overwhelming sentiment of people. Steven Alora says, Hey, I'd like to focus on a supporting bullpen cast that can close out five run leads consistently. So we can give them more days off. They can't Thornton up games. <laughs> he calls it. I don't want them to Thornton up games anymore. So uh, again, we'll ch- keep checking back on the, the text line. 590, 590. As always your level of confidence with Jordan Romano is the closer, not just this year, but next year as well. Lou Merlone is next. You're listening to Baseball Central, powered by DoorDash, on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: When it comes to deep dives on baseball stories, they'll take you to the deepest part of the park. This is Baseball Central with Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
2: Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590, the fan and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Congratulations to Robbie Ray, just been named American League Pitcher of the Month. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching.
1: Yeah, six quality ka-ching, starts in a row.
2: Ka-ching, ka-ching. It's getting, it's getting to be a bigger number. Every time Robbie Ray walks out of this, ka-ching. He's, I'll tell you what, boy's going to have to... He's going to have to loosen his pants a bit because his wallet, his wallet is getting bigger <laughs> and bigger and bigger and a, bigger and a, bigger. He doesn't pitch with his wallet in his back pocket. They'd be fine. Uh-huh. I'm just telling you, bigger and bigger. No, all, all kidding aside, congratulations to Robbie Ray. And a shout-out to uh, Robbie Ray and his wife, by the way. Did you see that thing they're doing with Pretty the cool. uh, with yeah. the T-shirts to help raise money for Jay's care? He's yeah. a great human. Yeah, he's a good On dude. On top of it. He's, he's, a, uh, he's a good dude. He made a... Um, He made a very extremely positive, very good first impression on guys last year. You know, I got again, yes, I understand he left the Arizona Diamondbacks where things were a mess, but he left the Arizona Diamondbacks to join a team that was playing in a minor league ballpark and didn't know where it was going to be next year. And Robbie Ray, you know, Robbie Ray didn't bitch or whine or complain. He kind of fit in and became a leader. And I think, you know, from talking to people that, Some of the guys in that team, you know, wait a minute. Now this guy just joined us. And Tywan Walker, I heard the same thing. These guys just walked in here. And, you know, we're kind of, it's getting old being on the road. But, boy, these guys are in here and they're just, hey, pay attention to what you're doing on the field. Don't worry about the other stuff. And then to have Robbie Ray re-sign before he was even, you know, technically before before any other free agent. He was the first free agent to sign. To have him say that, yeah, I don't know if the team's going to be in Toronto. I don't know where they're going to be. You know, how long we're going to be in Buffalo? Or are we going to be in Dunedin? But I'm okay. I'll, I'll sign up again. I mean, I, I think, I do not think we can underestimate the importance of, uh, of Robbie Ray over this last, this last year and a half to the organization. So, again, uh, congratulations to him. And um, like all of the other Blue Jay starters, Robbie Ray put together a real good month without <laughs> getting an awful lot of run support. Yeah. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as if there were too many gimmies. Uh, we are going to be joined uh, in a few minutes by Lou Merloni. He is a former major league outfielder and um, he is a uh, co-host of Merloni and Faria on W E E I in Boston. Uh, they had an interview yesterday with Alex Cora, the Boston Red Sox manager about the Boston Red Sox COVID situation. As you know, the Red Sox have had actually today they didn't have a positive test, which is the first time in five days that they haven't had a, a player test positive. I mean, they've lost a lot of their players as a result of positive COVID tests and contact tracing. And Dan Shaughnessy, the uh, longtime columnist at the Boston, Boston Globe really ripped into the Red Sox. The Red Sox are one of the teams that haven't received the 85% vaccine or haven't hit the 85% vaccine threshold. Alex Cora was on with, uh, with uh, Merloni and Faria yesterday. And he was asked about, he was asked about the criticism of the Red Sox organization, specifically in dan shaughnessy's column dylan can you play the uh, clip from alex gora please
4: so um alex um i want to read you a tweet from a friend of the show dan shaughnessy and i'm gonna get your reaction to this i don't know if you've seen it or not but it's from <laughs> last night and it says uh way to go anti-vaxxer red sox uh one of six teams not on board now they have lost xander bogarts official dumpster fire great leadership they totally deserve what is happening to them um, I don't I, I, deserve, I deserve to be suspended because I broke the rules. I don't deserve for my players to get COVID. I live at that.
2: Yeah, and uh, Alec, uh, Alex Corey had, <clears throat> had a few other words as well later on, but that was his, that was his immediate reaction to it. And I know uh, Chaim Bloom, the uh, president of baseball operations, Boston Red Sox, you know, it was also, he came out and he was critical. He said, yeah, it bothers me that our team hasn't hit the threshold. Now, yeah. there's a couple of things to keep in mind here. One of them is some of the Red Sox players that have tested positive have already been vaccinated. So it's, it's a case of breakthrough COVID. Mm-hmm. But having said that, you know, there are other teams, and, and we're led to believe that the Red Sox and a lot of other teams got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the one-shot deal. And that one-shot deal is not as effective as some of the two-shot vaccines. And we're led to believe that a lot of major league teams had that. So, I, again, you know, it, it, it's – it's. I prefer to look at this story not from, while well, they're at fault because they didn't get vaccinated. I prefer to look at it purely from a baseball point of view as to what type of impact that is going to have on the Red Sox ability to compete down the stretch. And, listen, I think it's a bigger deal for baseball as well because – there's a competitive balance issue here. It's not just about the Red Sox. It's about go. every freaking team they face, and it's about every team that might need the Red Sox to win a game to help their own playoffs.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're the Commissioner of Baseball, you don't. You're not telling me you want the, the Red Sox and the Yankees playing in a, in a, a one-game playoff. <laughs> you, you sure do, because mm-hmm. everybody'll be tuned into it. So yeah, it's it, it's a big slap in the face for Major League Baseball right now, but. I'm with you. How, how does the Red Sox overcome this? The, you read off the schedule that they have coming up. It's And who they don't have in their lineup. It's not going to be the easiest thing. Some other guys that, that, you know, names that you don't expect to have to step up this late in the season mm-hmm. are going to have to step up. And that's a lot to ask.
2: Lou Merloni, uh, who uh, had the interview yesterday, uh, was part of the interview, I should say, on Merlone and Faria and WEEI uh the interview with Alex Cora that we just played joins us in baseball central. Lou, thanks for joining us. It's always great to uh always great to hear from you. I hope you're hope you're doing well and 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 keeping safe. Um I, I heard that interview, yes. So it was a hell of an interview. And I mean one thing, thing I like about Alex Cora, man, first of all, he wears his heart in his sleeve, but he also doesn't yeah. skirt questions, does he? Like you ask a question of Alex Cora, and he's gonna give you an answer for the most part.
5: Yeah, no, he's good like that. And I'll tell you this: like on our show every Monday, we, for years, we interview Bill Belichick, mm-hmm. who is the complete opposite, right? <laughs> so, no, Alex, I think you, um, you know, he'll he'll expound on some things, and I think that's what makes him really good. He's a very good communicator. You know, even with the media.
2: How, what's your read of 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 the the COVID outbreak with the Red Sox right now? Because as I said, look, I you know I understand there are people that are going to be pointing fingers. But, you know, when you have players who have been vaccinated, they've done, some of the some of the guys that have tested positive have done what they were supposed to do, yeah, just as much as everybody else. They ponied up and they got their shot. They went with the science, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Like, I, I, it,
2: I, it, it bothers me a little bit that we got to turn it into some sort of big political thing when it comes to this. As I said, I'm more concerned about what it does to, to the – To the pennant race. I mean, if you're going to get vaccinated, you've probably been vaccinated already. So I I just think you're you're pounding your head against the wall otherwise. But I'm just wondering how you see it. And how is it going over in Boston?
5: Well, I'll tell you, one of the things in Boston that's kind of, as you just said, everything's political, first off. you know, And the fact that the Red Sox are one of the few teams in baseball that haven't reached that 85% um, vaccination threshold. And then um, there's some people in Boston that actually think they deserve this. Oh, they get what they deserve. And as Cora said, you know, I don't think my players deserve to get COVID. But um, this, this idea that just because you reach 85% vaccination threshold, all your problems go away. And there's some people that really believe this. And it's just not true, you know. You look at the New York Yankees; mm-hmm. their 85 percent tax, uh, you know, threshold, and, and they got hit hard a month ago, and then they get hit hard again. The Washington Nationals, you know, they had reached the 85 percent threshold. They had 12 personnel in the tier one; 11 of them were vaccinated. You know, the first guy that got it with the Red Sox was Kike Hernandez, who we talked to a couple weeks ago, and said he doesn't leave a three-block radius. His wife just had a kid. He wears masks. He's vaccinated. He is very careful. And he was the first guy to get it on this Red Sox team. So um, it's just, it's unfortunate. We know how this virus works. You know, of course, if you wear masks and vaccinate, I get all that stuff. But to think that, you know, they deserve it. A guy like Kike who got vaccinated, I think is ridiculous. And to think that just because you reach 85% threshold, you're not going to get it is just proven incorrect.
1: Okay, now, now they do have Chris back. they do have Devers, they do have J.D. Martinez, you know, they don't have Bogarts. How, who out of the guys that are missing is going to be hard to overcome?
5: It's going to be Bogarts. I mean, he's the leader of this team. He's the heart and soul. Um, of this team right now and um that's really the guy that kinda stands out, right? Kike Hernandez is is obviously probably second on that list with Taylor and Barnes even though he's been struggling lately. But you take Bogey out in the middle of that in the middle of that game, second, third inning, you see your leader walk off the field knowing that he is out now for ten days. Or or maybe eight nine who knows um, that is a big blow and that's where you start looking around. And listen, they still got a good lineup. You know, they they did mm-hmm. pick up Schwarber and they still got Renfro and and JD Endevers and Verdugo. So there's enough there. It's just that it's not lengthened out as much as you would like.
2: I wanted to ask you about uh, about Bobby Dahlbeck, who was named um, who was named the American League rookie rookie of the month <coughs> rookie of the month for August. I'll get it out. And I'm just looking at, yeah. you know, I, I'm I'm looking at this guy. This guy went for what he had a he had a 659 OPS through July, yeah. I think. And I look at it now, and in in August his OPS is 1.205. He slashed 339, 431, 774, seven home runs and twenty and and 21 RBIs. I mean that that's a hell of a turnaround. That's not that's not really a turnaround. That's almost a transformation. What do you think explains that?
5: Well, I, I tell you, it was a real tough year. And, like, a month ago, I was like, what are we doing? You know, I mean, you got to get a first baseman. And, Kevin, you know, I mean, you can't. Listen, if you're not going to swing the bat and you're going to strike out the amount that he does, you better be a great defensive player. And yep. he is one of the worst defensive first basemans in the game. So how are you helping me win? You know, and, and that was the case. He wasn't. He was, he was a liability, quite frankly. And all of a sudden, you know, you get, he's still a rookie, right, with a lot of pop. And it's all about, you know, he's finally on time you know really and as a hitter you know i mean it's it's all about just being on time he was you know wasn't aggressive enough he was missing every good fastball count 2-0 3-1 he'd foul it off to the right it was like it was beating him and then every breaking ball he was out in front of so he was just stuck in between but for 4 months right you can't, everybody goes through that for 2 3 weeks or a month or or whatever it might be but for 4 so you started wondering who he was and all of a sudden you come out in august and he's on time and he's turning on fastballs which is pop what you thought was kind of like right center. Cause he never really turned on anything and he's staying back on breaking balls. And it just looks like a young kid that finally has some confidence. You know, you get a young kid in that league that's questioning himself. I'm overmatched. I'm overwhelmed. And then all of a sudden has a good stretch and is like, huh, maybe I do belong. You know, this is who I think I am. So I don't know if it continues, but he's still not a good defensive first baseman, but at least now he's swinging the bat.
1: Okay, t- tell me if I'm wrong, but Hunter Renfro, for me, when you look at that, team's a blessing. You, you know, that little short porch yeah. and left pull hitter who plays outstanding out- outfield, where would they be without him?
5: No, he's he's been outstanding. You look at that outfield and he said, man, you know, Jackie, uh, you know, Mookie, and attending, and you have replaced them all, like Delfield yeah, yeah. defense. But, no, Kike and do go and Renfro's been fantastic. And and uh, I agree with you. What a great signing. The kid, he's actually, Renfro's got two years of uh, arbitration
1: eligibility. I, know, right?
5: I mean, they got him for a couple more years, right, like for nothing. And uh, the thing that the thing that's really shocking isn't the power. It's kind of like that average, isn't that 260? You always looked at him as like 210 kind of guy with pop, right? But mm-hmm. um, one thing Cora always talked about was he just sort of convinced him that there's actually some hits in right field, right? It doesn't have to be all, you know, swing and miss or home runs. You know, there are some hits over there. No one to do what you got to do. but And I think that's been a big transformation from him. It's turned him into a 210 hitter, into a 260. And really, he's been more like a 280 hitter since the first month. So that's really helped him out a lot of the dish.
2: Lou, listen, it was really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much. Appreciate your time as always.
5: Great stuff. And- Anytime. Anytime, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely.
2: That is Lou Meloni, former MLB infielder co-host of Meloni and Faria on WEEI in Boston. And uh, the Red Sox are playing the Tampa Bay Rays tonight. And uh, I was just looking at this we, we talked about the strength of schedule and I am just looking at MLB has just posted the teams with uh, you know with the strongest Strengths of schedule. I'm looking at the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays' uh, strength of schedule. Their opponents, the teams that they're facing right now have a 5.06 uh, average. They have 14 games remaining against the Orioles and Twins. Uh, And actually, I'm looking here. The Red Sox, you know, we talked about how tough. The Red Sox schedule is actually easier than the Hmm. Blue Jays' schedule in terms of terms of winning percentage, opponents' winning percentage. Their opponent's winning percentage is 493. Um, And uh, they've got, you know, the one thing that is, is they've got that that series against Seattle suddenly looks big, and then they've got the Yankees at home in the 24th and 26th. And I think that'll probably they are be.
1: they are a really good home team. Well, they for like forty one and twenty six at yeah. home. That that'll help playing some home games there. They they have really good approaches offensively there. They do still Lewis right. They still do have some some big names in that lineup. They do still do have Chris Sale. It's just how many punches to the face can you take as, as a team as an organization? And and then you got outside noise. Mm-hmm. Like you got some you know you got some media there that's saying they deserve it. Like you. You know, we were talking about minor leaguers not paying attention to what's going on above you at the, at the highest level. Well, h- how do you think they're sort of feeling? And, and the, the questions that their manager has to answer, it's, do you feel sorry for them? Probably not. You know, if you're not a fan of the, uh, the Red Sox, you're not going to feel sorry for them. But still, like it's, yeah, know, I just a lot of those players that are going through this, they had their shots. They don't deserve this. And that's, it's just hard. It's going to be hard
2: to overcome. Yeah, it really like, I, like I said, it, and it's something, I know people around Major League Baseball, uh, you know, had some concerns that the the Johnson and Johnson vaccine that 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 it the it was not as effective over the long term as as some of the other vaccines. But that you know that's why you know I I, I kind of avoid. I don't mind talking about the impact of COVID nineteen in sports, and you know I I I don't mind saying that everybody should get vaccinated, but you know this idea that everything that happens is always the same. And and I'm not saying people should feel sorry for the Red Sox either. But what I am saying is before you run around and say, well, this organization, you know, they've got a leadership issue. Well, ask yourself how many of those people were vaccinated. You know, if people, like, I I got no time for people who aren't vaccinated and get it. And then, you know, well, I I, I don't have any time for that. But, hey, if, if you're a guy like Kike Hernandez and you not only did what you were supposed to do, but you were very public about the fact you did it and you urged your teammates to get vaccinated and you end up getting COVID-19 and going to the COVID-19 list. Like, I'm sorry. I have a hard time hammering a guy for that. I do too. I, I, I really do. And it, but, you know, in, in the meantime, the, this is the hand the Red Sox have been dealt. And I'll tell you what, it's Bobby, uh, uh, Brian Delbeck or Bobby Delbeck, I never get the name right. His resurgence certainly is coming at a good time. Kyle Schwarber, we haven't really seen a whole bunch. I think he's he's played, what, he's played a couple of weeks. I, you know. I mean, they're they're going to
1: win with pitching and the bullpen. That, that for me, you, they're only going to score so many runs. They're going to face some good teams. You know, Seattle's, they don't know they're not supposed to be good. They're going to give them a, a, a some
2: solid Seattle's games. Seattle's kind of freaky right now. You're, they you're, really you're, are.
1: You're going to have to pitch well against them. Can they do that? That's the thing. Is Chris Sale enough energy? You know, okay, he wins his game. Who's going to pitch and win the other games? That's that's the thing. And you know, if the manager really does matter, we're going to find out.
2: Yeah. Oh, listen. Uh, you know, look. Whatever people may think of Alex Cora for his role in the cheating scandal, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, as as Lou said, and Alex is a good Alex is a good communicator. He's a good mo- motivator, and and you know, we will find out. I'll, I'll tell you this: yeah, the manager of the year race. I know that's true, but. In the American League, where do you go here? Like if the Red Sox make the playoffs, given everything they've gone through, mm-hmm. given the fact that not many of us thought they would necessarily make the playoffs, Cora's got to be in contention. Scott Service has got to be in contention. If, well, if, if Seattle gets if in, Seattle for me, it's in. him. There are people who are going to look at A.J. Hinch. Now, again, I know the Tigers aren't, and, yeah, and they not. play in that division. But, and, you know, at what point do we start talking about Aaron Boone? Aaron, Aaron Boone, we were asking, is he going to be fired? Is that team gonna fall apart? And uh oh, by yeah, the Kevin, way, Kevin. I, was, I was gonna say the, the guy engine that could. I was gonna say the guy who's yeah. you know who basically lost his entire pitching staff again and traded away one of his best defensive players or had his front office trade away one of mm-hmm. his best defensive players for a couple of relievers. Well, lo and behold, they're they're running away with it. Yeah, things. it's his to lose. I would I I I think Scott Service, you're right, it will depend. Where Seattle finishes, I think he's gonna get a I think he's gonna get a look. I think he's gonna get a look. They'll they'll have to make the playoffs. They are, by the way, have you been watching them a little bit in TV? They're a fun team. They are. They they they
1: they're they are, they're a fun team. Top to end watch. Of their lineup gives him some at bats. Yeah. Like professional at bats. You know, we we watch the Blue Jays all the time, a lot of the times getting themselves out trying too hard. You know, I was watching Ty France. He he's hunting. Yeah, He's hunting his yep. pitch. You know, you always talk about windows, not going outside the window. No matter what the pitch is, you're looking in that little window until you get two strikes.
2: Right now, that's what they're doing. Ed Sprague is a former MLB third baseman. Of course, he's uh, one of the heroes of the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, World Series teams. He's also current director of player development with the Oakland Athletics. The Athletics, they beat Detroit today. They are one of the teams between the Jays and the wildcard spot. They'll be getting into Toronto sometime tonight, going to bed, getting up early, going to the Rogers Centre tomorrow. They've got a three-game series against the Blue Jays starting on Friday. And while I wouldn't say that they could bury the Blue Jays in the wildcard race, if they take two of three or even three of three in this series, the road gets a lot tougher. The road gets a lot tougher because if you're the Blue Jays, Yeah, you've got some easy games coming up, but this is an opportunity to beat one of the teams that's right in front of you. You don't got Seattle anymore. Uh, You don't got Boston anymore. So this is an opportunity to beat one of the teams in front of you. Ed Sprague joins us next. You're listening to Baseball Central, powered by DoorDash, on the Sportsnet radio network.
0: Now, back to more Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.
2: all right as we mentioned the blue jays have tonight off they will start a three-game series against the oakland a's at the rogers center tomorrow night the a's seattle mariners the boston red Sox, the new york yankees all teams in front of the blue jays in the wild card race the yankees and uh, red Sox currently hold down the two spots and uh the Athletics, well, they should be getting into Toronto sometime tonight. They uh, beat the Detroit Tigers today, so they took care of their end of things. And uh, for both of these teams, yeah, it, look, the, the way this race is shaping up and, and, and given the state of the Red Sox right now, I don't think you would look at any series and say, well, losing this series ne- is, the, is the end of anybody's hopes, to be honest. The Red Sox look like they're going to be life and death to keep this thing together, certainly through this, this COVID outbreak. But again, if you're Kevin, if you're Oakland and Toronto, you're looking at this series and and a series win, a series win for Oakland. Really? You know, you, you've basically, you haven't eliminated one of your competitors, but you've made it really hard for them.
1: I know for me, the Jays playoffs start tomorrow. Like yeah these are playoff games now, like we we talk about this the biggest biggest series of the year, mm-hmm. well with you mentioned it with what the Red Sox are going through, you know the Yankees have have had a little hiccup here, losing some games. I'm not saying that that they're going to catch the Yankees, but you know it's it's right in front of you, and you want to play the best teams.
2: Ed Sprague is a former MLB third baseman, of course, former Toronto Blue Jay. He's also currently director of player development with the Oakland Athletics, and we're very pleased that he's taking time out to uh, join us today on Baseball Central. Ed, thank you for doing this. We we trust you're keeping well and 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 staying safe. Um, you know, it, it's uh, we had. We had we had Carlos Peña on a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about Marcus Simeon. And I want to talk about the A's, obviously, but I, but I want to talk about Marcus Simeon a little bit because Carlos said something that both Kevin and myself found really interesting. And, and we said to him, "Okay, what do you see when you see Marcus Simeon?" And he said, "You know, I see the Oakland A's." Now, obviously, Simeon played for the A's, so that makes sense. But what he said is Marcus Simeon is very much the personification of the Oakland Athletics approach to hitting, which is kind of keep, keep it simple, know what you can do, know what pitches you need to hit to make maximum damage. And, and and I think basically what he's saying was have an approach. And that he said, Carlos said, from being around that organization, from talking to people, I know that's something they preach. So I, I wanted to ask you, um, is, that, you know, is that very much the case that there is you know, there's an Oakland way when it comes to having an offensive approach? Yeah,
4: I think so. I mean, we've certainly had, uh, you know, a lot of continuity in our organization, you know, from the from top down and, and certainly with coaches, you know, the majority of that the coaching staff in the big leagues came through the minor league system. And so, uh, you know, Darren Bush is the hitting coach there. And he was there when, when Marcus arrived. And, you know, Marcus was the the heart and soul and the undisputed leader of that team for all these young guys, when they came up and, you know, the Chapmans, the Olsons and Pinders, and uh, he's a true pro. And so, yeah, I think, you know, we're all trying to fight to get a good pitch to hit and hit it hard somewhere. I mean, that's about as simple as it comes. And, uh, you know, when you have some guys with some strength and some of those balls go out of the ballpark, but really just fighting to control the strike zone and use the middle of the field and, and hopefully good things happen.
1: Okay. The Jays are getting Frankie Montas and, and his last couple of games against the, uh, the Giants and the Yankees. He's been outstanding. Well, How, how's he been so good?
4: Well, he's got excellent stuff for one. I mean, up to 98, 99 with a, you know, wipe out split and the slider that he can, he can use at any time of the count too. I mean, that's, that's probably the number one thing. Um, but I'm not sure he's pitching. He pitched today, so I'm not sure he's going to be throwing at you guys. Um, but he's he's been he's been great. His last few outings have been outstanding. Again today, he had a little blip in the seventh against the Tigers. But uh, he's been uh, when he's when he can compete in the zone and, and stay ahead of guys, he's he's really difficult to hit.
2: And one of the uh, and you're right. Yeah, I was just uh, I think Kevin. I may have given you wrong information. I, Frankie Montas was uh, was was pitching today. Um, talk to us a little bit about Starling Marte's impact
4: yeah I mean it's obviously watching him on an everyday basis I mean this, he's a superb athlete uh, you know he's given a little bit of more dimension uh, to the contact and run game which we really haven't had in a while I mean I think we've stolen 24 consecutive bases mm-hmm. or something like third in the league and stolen bases you know typically Oakland you know we're not a running team from, per se but uh, you know he's kind of brought that energy that level of excitement along with Josh Harrison and, and uh, you know this guy's Obviously, been a good player for a long time, but it's been fun to watch him uh, play and, and, and put the ball in play and run hard. I and mean, He can beat out an infield single at the best of them. Um, he puts a lot of pressure on the defense.
1: Yeah, how has Bob Melvin handled that? You know, He's, he's a really good manager. He's, he's you know, done some things at that level. How's he handled the speed and, and being able to steal bases and that kind of thing?
4: Well, Bob is, is great at adapting to whatever you give him. I mean, I think he's probably yeah. one of the best managers in the game. And, uh, you know, I think, he, I think he appreciates having the versatility of, of some guys that can make contact, some guys you can hit and run with, some guys put the ball in play and, and move it around and put pressure on the defense. at the same time, you know, we got guys that can hit the ball in the ballpark as well. So um, he'll adapt to anything that you give him. I think that's how good of a manager he is.
2: Now, you know, looking at some of the, some of the, the numbers with the athletics, uh, you know, Ed, the, the, the bullpen, I think they've, they've got 16 losses this year. That's fewest in the majors. They've got 22 blown saves, though. Uh, the record in close games isn't that great. Um, you know, they, I, I, see, I, I see they lead the AL in one-run losses, et cetera, et cetera. But, again, they are the A's. They're very well positioned for the wild card. What, what, has, to, what has to happen? For the A's to get to to get the wild card spot,
4: I think we need to we need some some length out of our starters. Like we got with Montas today, uh, you know they need to they need to continue to pitch into the sixth and, and even the seventh. But at least in the sixth, to give our bullpen, you know some break days. We we can't continue to to bring guys in in the fourth and fifth and expect to, to hold on to those leads. You know especially against playoff type teams. So uh, as good as our bullpen's been at times, you know it's late in the season. Uh, they get fatigued, uh, you know, they got some mileage on them. And uh, it's just, you know, the starters have to kind of pitch deep. I think when the starters pitch deep in the game, I think we, we have some success and uh, that's got to be, you know, continue. And that's, you know, it's not a recipe for just us. I think that's a recipe for most teams at this type of year. If your starters aren't getting you into that seventh inning, uh, it's going to be tough for those bullpens at this point in the year to uh, continue to keep teams down.
1: Why do you think Matt Olson doesn't get talked about
4: enough? Because he plays on the West Coast.
1: that's it right yep
4: i mean i i think that's got to be it and this guy's you know he should be in the running for an mvp vote i mean he offensively what he does what he does for our defense uh what he's done on the offensive side the bounce back year he's come back and this guy is an unbelievable player he makes you know three other infielders great he's a gold glover himself uh he's got power he's hitting for average this year he's cut down his strikeouts um you know he's as good as Matt Chapman is on the other side of the corner, um, you watch him day in and day out, I and mean, he picks every ball that's thrown over there. And those, those highlight plays that Chapman makes on a daily basis a lot of times get overlooked on the back end where Olsen's picking that ball. And that's, that's, a, that's a, I know as a former infielder, you know, having somebody over there that can pick all the balls in the dirt, that's a big deal.
2: Uh, Ed, thank you so much for joining us, man. It was great of you to do this as always. You stay safe and be well. Thanks, Ed.
4: All right, take care,
2: guys. Take care. That is Ed Sprague. He is uh, the Oakland Athletics Director of Player Development. They actually get Sean Minaya yeah, yeah. on Friday. Yeah, the Frankie fact, Montas. and Montas mixed up. Yeah, I got that a little up. Had, a, had a tough August.
1: He, he has, but Montas, he, he mentioned it there. The, the splitty, the, the velocity, uh, those, those two pitches, it's a – it's a very hard thing. It's very rare when I was coming up that I faced a guy that had a split finger. But when you do, really? face, those, well, when you do face those guys, because it's the size of your hands, it's, you don't want to give it away. It's digging
2: in your glove. See, I was going to say There's that a lot I thought, I thought a, a lot of guys, I thought guys threw more split fingers than they are now.
0: Yeah,
1: I think that was, they're, they're very hard pitches to control. You know, you, you want them to look exactly like your fastball. It has that late drop mm-hmm. to it it's just it's a very moody sort of pitch you know a lot of people I think think that it's a grip it rip it pitch for me it's not really you know you still have to have good mechanics you still have to have a really good finish it has to look exactly like your fastball but it's that you know the Montas thing when you watch him and, and those two pitches are sort of morphed into each other yeah and when he's having success it's it's strike one with the with the 98 and then it's that splitty off of that and it's you know, it's a good thing, I guess, that the Blue Jays aren't facing him because he is a righty, and, and the Blue Jays tend to have, uh, you know, issues with the hard velocity and a, and a good secondary pitch that's tunneling off of that. But, you know, it's, it's again, Ed was mentioning there, it's about staying in the big part of the field, and, and, you know, when you watch these lineups down the stretch, it's the teams that can do that. You, 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 every time we talk to a, to a guy that talks about hitting, that knows hitting, that's been there and done it before, they all say the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Eduardo, when we had him on, what's the first thing out of his mouth? The Blue Jays stand in the big part of the field. thinking yeah. the other way that they're not doing a ton of now. And, and can they get back to that and have the quality of bats down the stretch? That'll be the interesting thing to watch is it's not the easiest thing to, to get out of slumps of. You're trying to get pull happy. You're trying to hit to the park. And then oh, by the way, you had a lot of success going the other way. Can, can they switch it up?
2: It's funny, as I said, taking a look at the some of the numbers around the athletics and it reminded me that at one point this year when the Rays were in town you looked at the Rays game notes and you kept saying how, how the hell do they do this because the the numbers in one-run games the Athletics one-run games not very good uh the bullpen as i said 16 losses but they got the fewest the fourth fewest saves in the in, in the majors it's um it, it it it's really strange when you see uh when when you see uh when you see a team that is contending, is in the playoff race, and is a team that you generally consider, you know, most people looked at Oakland this year saying Oakland's a good team. Oakland's going to be in the playoff race. And then you look at some of the numbers, and you go, man, how, how how is this happening? But there they are.
1: Yeah, they got they, Chapman. They got, they got Chapman Olson Olsen on, on defense. That, that has the corners taken care of. Starling you know, Marte court. was
2: a great, That's, great pickup. Yeah,
1: you know, he. you don't have to get as many hits when you got a guy that can get on, steal second and third. Makes it a little easier for a guy to, to have a productive at bat that kind of way. But you know, it's you need a surprise. Montas is a little bit of a surprise. He's had some really good games for him down the stretch. That's uh, Manaya Man- has to continue to turn the corner, whatever he's kind of doing. But yeah, they're they're sort of you're one of those teams you have to beat them. They're not going to beat yeah. themselves a lot of the times. Going into Oakland's not the easiest thing, you know that all that foul territory is... is you're changing your game. You know it's a long walk when you punch out there. A lot of guys don't. So you're changing your game. You shorten up before you get to two strikes. A lot of things go into it. So they're a good team. Jay's going to have to show up. They're going to have to pitch well. They're going to have to run the bases well. They're going to have to have
2: better at bats. Yeah, they uh, they play really good games. These two teams, Oakland. They do. Yeah, they do. I, I, you're going to don't roll your eyes again. But I kind of look. I I look at Oakland a little bit like the Rays. I enjoy watching Oakland play. I enjoy watching the athletics play. I just, I, I always have, I know the, yeah, at the Coliseum,
1: it's a, it's a hard watch, but when they're on the road, I like, it. I mean, they, they play good games. They're,
2: they're sort of that. The two uh, guys in the corners. They if are, you're, they're a, fun to if watch. you're a baseball fan, you got to like Olson and Chapman.
1: You do. Diving off, diving all over the place. You know, a, a a long limb guy. It's just like, he can reach everything standing at first. You can't throw the ball, you know, away from him, a ball that he can't catch. Yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's just, it's, it's sort of what teams are trying to be, you know. Can you be a team that you don't spend a ton of money to put together and still compete every single year? Well, of what the Blue Jays are trying to do. You know the Blue Jays got a big payroll, but they're not, they're not trying to get to the $200 million range. They're mm-hmm. trying to compete in the American League East and do it sort of like the, the way Oakland's
2: doing it. We are going to go back to the text line, and we're going to play a clip uh, from earlier today from uh, writer's block. Dante Bichette was interviewed uh by uh, Ben Ennis and uh Richard Deitch. And he had an interesting comment about Vladdy and Bo and leadership. Now I know how we feel about the whole leadership thing, but he he told us an interesting story about Vladdy and something Vladdy did last night that uh kind of got it kind of got our attention and gave us something to talk about. So 590 590 is a text line. We're continuing to monitor that your thoughts on Jordan Romano? Has he answered all your questions about his ability to close? Do you think he can be the guy next year? 590, 590 is a text line. We'll get to the text line. We'll talk a little bit about something Dante Bichette said earlier today. You're listening to Baseball Central, powered by DoorDash on the Sportsnet radio network.
0: Now, back to more Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590, the Fan.
5: they're starting to I think you can see it um, they're fast learners obviously uh, they've kind of had a, a, a they've had a leg up on everybody because of the way they've grown up grown up in this game so they have they're, they're going to do it quickly I think you can see it already I think Bo, Bo and Vladdy and Vladdy I saw a text a team text like I'm I'm on the team text by Vladdy uh just last night and it was like wow it's a leadership type text I can't really you know indulge everything on it but I say you know what this is this is good this is good for this kid to come you know this is the first text I saw from him I'm like you know what okay here we go now we're starting he's starting to believe again he's got a couple homers in a couple games here we go now we're gonna see these boys step up
2: that was Dante Bichette special advisor yeah the Blue Jays. I like Dante a lot. I love Dante a lot too. He yeah. uh, he is with the team, and he's talking about a, a you know a text that Vlad sent out last night. Uh, they have a WhatsApp WhatsApp group or a chat group, uh, and um, you know, look, it's I know how we feel about sort of leadership in this room, and it, it seems to me that there are there are three definitions of leadership. There's a leadership. There's a fan's idea of leadership. There's the media's idea of leadership, which is kind of what the fan's idea is, but it's a little closer to the actual reality of leadership. And then there's what really is leadership and the player's idea of leadership. And, and, and I just, I found that interesting because yeah, I'm like you like to me, leadership is what you do on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, lead by example, lead by example. And, I I get it that a young player can show leadership if he if he's really good. I, I don't think necessarily you have to be 37 years old no. and have been in the majors for 18 years. I gotta think if I gotta think if I'm if I'm on the team and I see what Vladdy's doing and I see what Bo's doing, I wanna be at least as good as them. Like I'm not looking at Marcus Semin. I wanna be at least as good as the young guys. But this this intrigued me for a couple of reasons, Kevin. First of all, Um, thinking back to when Bobby Meacham was managing at AAA for the Blue Jays and had Vladdy Jr. And one of the points he made was that when Vladdy came to that team, he told him when he got out in the field, you are the guy. Everybody on this team is watching you. Never mind the fans. Never mind the media. Everybody in this team is watching you because you are the top prospect in the game. They're watching how you take grounders. They're watching how you take BP. They're watching how you are around the cage when you're not swinging. They're watching how you are in the dugout when uh, we're in the dugout and you're not hitting. And he said his idea was, I look, I, I don't believe that you protect these guys. You you're here. You're I'm my job's to get them ready for what they're going to face in the majors. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we we kind of overlook that, that Vladdy and Bo don't need to be told that they're the leaders of this team. And George Springer's there. And George Springer's got the long mm-hmm. contract and the track record. And he's a leader and all that. But I I do think I don't think one person's a leader in a team like this. I think a bunch of people lead. And I think it's about you know, something Charlie Montoyo talked about when he was with the Rays, and Kevin Cash talked about, it, about doing it with the Rays too, is that you try to create an environment so that the young guys, if they want to lead, can lead. Sure. If they're not comfortable leading because they're looking up to George Springer, well, then you create an avenue where they can look up to the veteran guy. Mm-hmm. Basically, you create a situation, you create an environment where everybody feels comfortable kind of doing their role. And I think that's what we see with this team, and I think it's what we see with most teams, Kevin.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting comment that Dante said about Vladdy, and and you know that that it just seemed like the way he said it that he hasn't seen Vladdy text in a while. It has, it hasn't you know because he's been you know he's been. Struggling a little bit, he hasn't been the Vladdy we, we're used to seeing. You know, the the quality of his at bats aren't really there. He's been struggling in batting bad. practice, trying to August find. Is a, tough, a, a routine. August it is. is tough, man. is tough for a young a lot, player. There's a lot of pressure on Vladdy to carry this th- team, especially when George is not the lineup. there's just it's it's probably unfair for, for every yeah. everybody that's a Blue Jays fan that wants his team to go where they want it to go to put as much pressure on Vladdy. I, I, I love it. I love that Vladdy is, is okay enough to, to take a step back, not say anything. And then when he starts feeling his mojo again, it's just a, it didn't sound like he was, you know, saying, telling people that this is what we're going to do. It's just mm-hmm. a vote of confidence. Like, you know, I'm back and now it's time for us to go. It sort of sounded like it was that sort of text. And, and I think that's just the way it should be. It's a, it's a we're in this together. Right and and I'm starting to feel it again and and you know I'm going to help help this team. You're every, everything's sort of going to fall into place and and we're going to take off and hopefully go where we want to go and it's just it's fun. To, it's fun to hear. It's fun to hear that the future is so bright for the Blue Jays. Yeah. That that's for me
2: is what it is. Too. Like I yeah I I understand I I understand that there are Jays fans out there. And I listen. I'm not sort of blowing smoke for the organization. here. I really don't have to. But nope. I I've kind of said all along that I I. I don't think this team is a finished article. Uh, I, I just don't. And I am looking forward because I really don't, I don't write off last year, but I didn't put a lot of stock because it was 60 games. And, and yeah, I understand they gave the world series at the end and all this stuff. I, I, I get that, but it was 60 games. Mm-hmm. It was basically a third of what you'd normally go through in, in, in a season. So I didn't put a great deal of stock in that. I'm I'll tell you what, I will be more interested in what I see from Vladdy and Bo these next three weeks than what I saw all of 60 games last year. I really will. And I'm not saying I'm going to draw conclusions of it, but I think you are going to see these two guys. And I don't know if this is going to be enough to get the Jays to the playoffs, Kevin, but I think you're going to see these guys. Just my feeling is you're going to see them finish with a bit of a kick and that's, That's good enough for me.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great learning experience for him. And now they know what it feels like, the pressures of, you know, a pennant race trying to make the playoffs, facing good teams down the stretch. You know, even her Marcus Simeon know that the book's out on us. They know how to get us out. Because last
2: year the book was only 60 games last year. Exactly
1: right. Now now they know that Bo will chase a little bit. They know Bo and will chase a little bit in off the plate. Now it's up to Vladdy to make that adjustment. Now that he's been here and done it, that'll only help him going forward and make him a better player when it matters down the stretch next year. So it's just that I look at this as even if they don't make it, how bright the future looks. If you're a blue Jays fan, how can you not be excited? Like just, I've said this on many platforms here. When I get an opportunity to go on the morning show, when I go on Jays talk after the game, I continue to say it to Jays fans. You know, I, I don't get paid any extra to, to say it. No. I, I When I see it, I say it. And just to see the future and how these guys go about their everyday business. Now, I I probably know a little bit more of that than most people do. I see it. I talk about it. I I talk about it with people that are in the room with these guys trying to figure out ways to to mm-hmm. n- not swing at a breaking ball that's, that goes strike to ball. So I, I, I sort of got a little bit better sense of that. But, man, just the, the pure ability that these guys have and and... You can see it. It's churning. Like, yeah. they're they're trying to learn it on the fly, and they're still succeeding
2: at it. Is, it, it can turn out to be something special. 590, 590 is a text line. We still have a few minutes left. Uh, Eric and Oshawa, we were talking about Jordan Romano. Again, everybody's weighing in. Everybody weighs in on, on, on this. And, yeah, it seems as if thumbs up for Jordan Romano. Uh, Jor, uh, Jared says, Romano scares me. Any pitcher that has that, many, that much movement and body twist needs a ton of mental massaging. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not sure, but he has great stuff. Not sure about his head space. You know, Jared, you've touched on something there that, that, uh, again, we've talked about Ross Stripling making a change. Jordan Romano made a pretty dramatic change in season. A season in which we, as we talked about, he was also dealing with the fact that the grip grip thing had changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I wonder... See, I wonder if you still don't refine that delivery a little more in the offseason. Is yeah, there a sure. way of getting rid of a little? Because one thing about it, he is easy to run on.
1: Yeah, I don't care about any of that. I, the, the only thing that worries me a little bit is the crossfire action. If you took that away from him to, to keep him on the field, would his stuff be the same? He, that, that's deception. It's Harder to pick mm. it up. It's got late giddy up to it because it's 99 to 101 now. Would taking that away would more direction to the plate, yeah. straighter to the that's plate, fair. make him a better, longer pitcher? I don't think so. I, I think because of what he looks like now, where he releases it from, where he steps to release it from, where he's releasing it from, I think that's what that's who he is. That's what he is. I think you ride it as long as you can ride it.
2: That's me. So you just you if, if that if this how do you
1: how do you, how do you tinker with ninety nine to a hundred and one that can throw strikes? I, yeah. How do you tinker with
2: it? Yeah, I just I, the the whole late inning thing, man on first.
1: Yeah, look, I, I for me, you don't bring him in with a runner on first. You bring him in with a clean inning. You know, if he if he's got a runner on first, he seems to realize that the runner on first is because of him, not because of the guy he's coming in to get the. Do you understand right. what I'm yeah, saying? I do. There's yes. a mental part of that of. Okay, it's up to me to, to get myself out of that because I put myself in this yeah. situation. So they put him in those clean innings. Now, occasionally they have to; they don't have a choice but to bring him in in certain situations. You know, like eighth inning with two outs, runner on second base. I gotta, got a choice to put, to bring him in. But most That's of the time, I point. would think it's a clean inning, and you're seeing that you, that little bit more aggression because I I walked a guy on four pitches now, it just made me mad, and you're going to see more aggression. It's the elevated heater. It's the higher velocity, it's maintaining that higher velocity for longer periods of time.
2: It's yeah, there there are things about closers that I I, I truly believe, and I don't know if, if analytics uh if analytics explains it, but it's yeah. it's the same idea that there are a lot of closers that you put them in, in a non save situation. They're just not they're I just mean, not good as good. Question. I mean, there's that that's just a thing. How,
1: when's the last time you've seen the camera pan of the bullpen seeing him up moving around in the fourth inning like he used to be? It's rare. Don't see that anymore. Like you he's he's refined the routine to maximize his performance. How do you not love
2: that? That's I, I hadn't thought of that, but I will look for it when I'm at the ballpark this weekend because I'm right, right above the bullpen. There you go. And we talked about Vladdy cutting down on the amount of work he's doing in the cage. Maybe the same thing has happened with Jordan. There's a bunch of young guys who, again, their first 162 and... They're trying to figure out how they go about doing stuff every day because there's some, if you want, you can, do, you can work yourself in the ground. There's something you can do every day. You know what? Major League team, there's uh, always somebody around willing to throw to you, willing to hit fungo. I'll just
1: say this to you. Jordan Romano understands that Liam Hendricks just
2: got paid a ton of money to close. It's an opportunity there. Yeah. Very well said. Uh, that is it for today. Again, no Blue Jays baseball tonight, but we do have Canada and Honduras soccer the uh, CONCACAF World Cup qualifying we got that in the TV side so uh, something to keep you interested in in until the Jays get back on the field tomorrow night against the Oakland Athletics thanks for listening to us you're listening to Baseball Central powered by DoorDash on the Sportsnet radio network